All right, church, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather together as your church to study your word. Father, we ask that in spite of a foolish and frail preacher that you, the Lord God Almighty, would speak to our hearts all together as a congregation, as a whole church. Lord, each of us here this morning, including myself, every deacon, every pastor, every person here needs to have a word from your perfect word. So we ask, God, that you would speak, that you would add the richest of blessings to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. God, we ask these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, bear with me just a second. Okay. All right. So this morning we are going to continue in our sermon series walking through Bethany basics, all right, looking at some of the basics of what it means to be a Christian, of then what it means to be a member here at this church, how this church is structured and organized. So I would ask if you have your copy of the little booklet that we have for everybody, please take that out. If you do not have a copy, if you didn't bring yours back today, there should be plenty scattered throughout the pews. If you do not have one, please raise your hand and and somebody can pass you one in from the sides of the pews, or we can uh, get some from the back and distribute those, all right? So if you do not have one, please raise your hand, and we will get that to you as quickly as we can. All right. There's, I see extra books in every pew, so there's plenty of places. Just grab you one as you, as you see fit. All right. So over the last couple of weeks, as you're, as you're still getting those books, over the last couple of weeks, we've walked through several aspects of this book already together. And what we read to start the service out um, was from Ephesians chapter 1. And there at the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians, it tells us that Christ is the head of the church. This is a reference that we have to the church in the universal sense. Remember, as we've talked these last few weeks, there's two different examples that we have of the church in the Bible. There's A lot of references to the word ekklesia, to the word church in Greek, but there's two different definitions of those, two different categories for those. So you have the universal church, which is every believer throughout all time. Anybody who truly believes in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is part of the universal church. And then we have numerous examples of local bodies of believers. These are the letters that Paul wrote to specific congregations. We have record of there being a local congregation in Jerusalem, in Antioch, and and all over the Middle East. There were local churches. There was a local church in Rome. So we have examples of the universal church and examples of the local church. And we abide by a lot of the principles that are prescribed for the local church. Church. What we read this morning was a description of how Christ is the head of every church, of every Christian, and in the church itself, we are the body of Christ, and then individual members are parts of the body of Christ. So if you believe in Jesus, then you are a part of the church universal. If you are a believer connected to the head, which is Christ, then you are a part 
of the body of Christ. And there are glorious parts of the body of Christ. There's mouths and throats and voices and vocal cords. But there's also some less than glorious parts of the body. All right. We all have nose hairs. They have a purpose. All right. I like to consider myself as a nose hair in the body of Christ. It is not necessarily a glorious part, but hey, somebody's got to do it, right? One of the most impactful things that I've ever been told is from my cousin Josh. I believe I've shared this with you before, but while he had cancer, he hated taking showers. And I asked him, why is it such a big deal to take a shower? He said, well, Nathan, I don't have any hair left from the chemotherapy. And I said, well, what's the big deal? And he said, you don't quite understand how vital of a role your eyelashes play in actually sealing off your eyes so that no soap and dirt and grime can get in your eyes. So every time that I shower, my eyes sting the entire time because there's no way to keep the soap and the water from seeping its way into my eyes. Folks, that's why we're going through the things we're going through because some of us are eyelashes in the body of Christ and we've forgotten how useful we are to the rest of the body. Everybody has a purpose and a plan specifically designed by God to serve and work and function in his church. So as we've looked through these things, we've talked about ecclesia and it in the New Testament and the Old Testament. I want to take just a moment and walk through the various relationships described just in the book of Ephesians with Christ and his church. Christ is the head of the church, as we read this morning in chapter 1. Christ is the cornerstone of the church in chapter 2, verse 20. Christ is the Savior and sanctifier of the church in chapter 5. Christ gives the church ministry workers in chapter 4. Christ loved and sacrificed himself for the church in chapter 5. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church in chapter 5. The church and her members dwell and grow in Christ in chapter 2 and in chapter 4. The church is how God manifests his wisdom to the world. We talked about that verse in chapter 3 for the last two weeks. The church submits to Christ in chapter 5. The church is Christ's body and believers are members of that body. That shows up in chapter 1, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, and 5. It is all over the book of Ephesians. That's why we use that analogy, because it's straight out of Scripture, and it is so perfect to describe how all of us together work as one to be part of the body of Christ, to make up one complete organism. So, we've walked through these things, talking about our common salvation. Listen, you can be a church member and pretend to be a Christian. We've talked about this. But the only way to really be saved is to truly believe in Jesus Christ and believe in Him in such a way that it changes our life, it changes our wants and our desires to where just like Jason was leading us through song this morning, we begin to run from sin. We no longer desire to live in sin. We run from sin. It doesn't mean that we're not ever going to stumble or fall, but we strive to get away from sin. So you see there on the first part of this, what does it mean to be a Christian? It does not mean being a good church member because you can fake out your fellow church members and make them think that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean being a good person. Listen, in Covington County, there's a lot of good people who are not in right standing with the Lord. Just being a good person You and I can never be good enough. It takes Christ and his sacrifice and belief in that to make us righteous, to make us holy. Being a Christian only means one thing. 
believing on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So we walk through those things because you cannot be a church member truly of the universal church or the local church in the truest sense unless you believe in Jesus Christ. So we walked through that, and last week we talked about the two ordinances that we observe here at church, the the special ways that we worship the Lord through baptism and the Lord's Supper. We walked through the specifics of those. We observe baptism and the Lord's Supper. Believers are the ones that should be baptized. We do not believe in infant baptism. We believe that somebody should confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, begin to follow Him, and that first step of obedience is that then they are willing to submit to being baptized. It's like the wedding ring of the wedding ceremony. It is commanded, it's exampled, it's pictured. The Lord's Supper, we saw there's instruction, there is symbolism there. It's a reminder, it's a declaration, it is sacred. And believers are also the only ones who should be taking the Lord's Supper. Folks, as as hard as it is, if your children have not trusted in Jesus, then you should Not let them partake in the Lord's Supper. Listen, it's a conversation with my kids every time we do the Lord's Supper. How come we don't get crackers? How come we don't get juice? It's because you have not confessed and trusted in Jesus yet. And you don't trust in Jesus just to get crackers and juice? Because let me tell you, it's not the tastiest cracker, all right? And it's just a sip of juice, okay? We have that conversation every time. But that's important to teach our children. It's important that this not be a place of judgment. So if somebody is struggling with sin or unforgiveness or is at odds with their brother or sister and they feel compelled and convicted to pass the plate, this is a place that is a judgment-free zone. It is not our place to determine whether that person is saved or whether they have the right to partake or to whisper and gossip as the plate goes by them. This is a place where you examine yourself And you must worship together as you feel convicted. But we should be believers. We should be baptized believers. We should be examining ourselves. We confess our sin. We commit to Christ. And we work to restore our relationships. So we talked through all of those things last week. So now this week we move into our common organization. Listen, there are a lot of things that go on here at Bethany Baptist Church. There's a lot of ministries. There's a lot of ways that you can serve. There's a lot of ways that you can get plugged in. But let me tell you the primary two ways that you ought to be plugged in, that I ought to be plugged in at Bethany Baptist Church. All right. Ministry at Bethany Baptist is primarily accomplished within the context of groups and classes. All right. We have Sunday school classes. We have disciple groups. And folks, I genuinely love everybody who is a member of this church. I have respect and love for each and every one of you and those who are not here with us this morning. But the fact of the matter is we average about 300 people on a Sunday morning. There's just no way for myself and Jake and Jason to be your very best friend and minister to every single need that you could ever have in your life. We're going to do everything we can to do that. But if you feel left out, if you feel unplugged, if you feel like nobody in this church knows me, nobody in this church likes me, I just go eat worms. I just, I tell you, I just sit here and ain't nobody even coming and talking to me. Get involved in a group. It's just not that hard, folks. You can sign up right now and start in a disciple group and meet in somebody's home. Pastor, I just can't come up to the church. I can't come to that church campus now. That's, it's just hard. I can't talk to people. I can't share. That's fine. Most of these disciple groups meet in homes. It's just somebody's house. You're just going to somebody's house, developing friendships and relationships. 
These are the people who are going to be there when a family member dies. These are the people who are going to be there when you have to go to the hospital. These are the people who are going to bring meals to you so that you don't have to cook. These are the people that are going to show up and cut your grass because they love you and they know that you're going through a hard time. These are the people that are going to put money together to help pay your light bill because you can't tell it to the church, but you know that your group knows and they will help. This is where ministry takes place. You love one another and you get to know one another and you have a close, tight-knit friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood, one with another. And if you think that all of your needs are going to be met by coming to this worship service on a Sunday morning for maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and that we are going to know every time that there's a difficulty in your life and that the pastor is going to cook you a meal personally, First off, you don't want that, all right? I'm not the greatest of cooks. Let's just get that out there, all right? You don't want me bringing you dinner. If, if you get dinner, it's probably going to be some chicken casserole because that's like my wife's number one, and I'm going to be eating some chicken casserole at home while you're eating some chicken casserole. So you can call, and we'll bring you some food. We love doing it because I love getting chicken casserole at home, okay? It's just a selfish reason, but it's, it's partial some of the motivation back there. I'm just laying it out there for you, okay? But listen, if you're expecting the pastor to show up and bring you a meal every time anything happens in your life, I physically am incapable of doing it. I would. I love it. I don't mind. I enjoy it. I enjoy sitting and visiting with people. But I just can't get to everybody. And so what has to happen if you want to truly be a member of this church, you've got to plug into a Sunday school class. You've got to plug into a disciple group. If you don't have a group around you of people who love you that's, that's a smaller group, then you're going to fall through the cracks. You're going to fall in between the gaps. And people are not going to make it to you, and you're going to feel offended. I can't believe old Bethany Baptist Church. Such and such and such and such happened in my life, and nobody gave me a phone call. Nobody stopped by to check on me. Well, okay, that's fair. That's good. That's a good point. Nobody did. You are right. You have a right to be mad. But if, if I could follow up with one question, what Sunday school class are you involved in? What, what group is your name on, on their role? What class is your name a part of their fellowship? And, and if it's not in any of those, who, who did you want to reach out to you? Who are your close friends that you share your struggles, your ups and your downs in life with here in the church? Who, who are they? Where, who let you down? Where did we fall? Where did we fail? Folks, I'm going to guarantee you, as a pastor, I will fail you. It will happen. Every human being who has ever lived aside from Jesus the Christ will disappoint you at some point in their life. Even your mama, even your daddy, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. Every human being will eventually disappoint you and let you down. And I'm no different from that. There will come a time when we will fail you. But I promise we're going to do our best to repent. We're going to do our best to make it right. As we're doing that, I'm asking How involved are you? How do people know what's going on in your life? Who are you doing life together with here at this church? We're accountable to you, yes. But if you're not plugged into a group, you're missing out on the ministry that takes place. The friendship, the fellowship, the food. There's meals all the time. We're Southern Baptists. We eat every time we get together. All right, most Sunday school classes have coffee and maybe donuts or something. You're not going to not have food. But hear me out. If you're sitting in this congregation right now and all you're doing is showing up for this worship service, praise God that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for worshiping. 
But if you're going to be a member and be part of this church, get involved in a group because that's where ministry happens. So don't miss out on the blessing of ministry, ministering together in a group. So we continue. Sunday school disciple group. Then you have a list of all the various ways that these groups and members, and there's so many different places to plug in. There's so many different places to plug in. Folks, we, we have a baptistry ministry team, okay? Every time somebody gets baptized, there's towels that got to be washed. There's a tub that's got to be filled up. There's people that got to be prayed with. There's ministry in every nook and every cranny of this campus and within these people. So, folks, please find somewhere to plug in. Nobody expects one person to do everything on this list. And this list isn't even exhaustive. But if you're not involved in two or three of these things that are going on around the church, you're missing blessings. You are missing out. This is not a guilt trip. This is you missing out on a blessing of being there when somebody's baptized, of showing up and being there when somebody's passed away, of helping to manage and steward the funds of this church. Some people come up to me sometimes and and argue and, and fuss about where we're spending money and how it's being spent. Then get involved. There's committees that you can become a part of. There's nominating committees to help put all these people in place. Listen, folks, there's a a detailed structure to our church. And if you're just showing up on Sundays, I'm sorry, but you don't really have the right to complain about the way things are done until you're willing to get your hands and your feet a little bit dirty and get on a committee, get in a group, and participate as part of the family. Anybody ever been to a Christmas get-together, right? And there's that one relative, okay, probably a cousin, usually an uncle, all right, who's got to complain about all the food. You mean that Terry made the tater salad this year? I tell you what, Terry don't make no good tater salad. How come, how come Samantha didn't make the tater salad? I, was, I, was, I always look forward to Samantha's tater salad. And I, how, come we having, how come we having ham? I wanted turkey this year. Well, Uncle Joe, you could have brought turkey. Hello. All you had to do was say something, but you're just going to show up and complain? Who likes Uncle Joe? Nobody. Everybody mad at Uncle Joe. Ain't nobody happy when Uncle Joe shows up complaining about the food, and he had nothing to do with preparing it, planning it, or anything. He didn't lift a finger, participate, donate money, or cook the first ounce of anything, but he's got something to complain about. Folks, it's the same way. We're a family. So don't, don't be Uncle Joe. Don't show up and complain about everything that's going on when you're not willing to commit And jump in and get in a group, get in a Sunday school class. Be participating in some of these ministries. Man, we have prayer time every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the prayer room to pray over what's going to happen in this service, to pray over what's going to happen during our Sunday school hour. Folks, you can show up at 8.30 and pray. If you know how to pray and you can get here by 8.30, it's literally the easiest thing you can do. Just show up and pray and join us. And pray for our church and our worship time and our Sunday school time. It's so easy to get plugged in. You just have to take that step and be willing to commit to being a part of this body. So, as we continue through there, we're moving now to the leadership of Bethany Baptist Church. All right, so I understand that there are some heavy eyes. I see it, all right? We haven't done a whole lot of crazy backflips, flipping tables, or anything like that. So I planned intentionally. Now we're going to read some scripture about pastors and deacons, and we're going to follow our normal tradition. We're going to stand up. So if you have your Bible, please take it and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
as you find your place in sacred scripture. Once you get there, please feel free to stand if you are physically able to do so. It will be on the screens as well, so feel free to follow along there or borrow a copy of scripture from the few in front of you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 13. The word of the Lord says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, this passage, these 13 verses, they are the foundation upon which the leadership at Bethany Baptist Church is built. This is the scriptural mandate of how all of our pastors should conduct our lives. This is the way that we should lead, the way that we should love, the way that we should care. This is how the deacons should serve. This is our character and the standard by which we will be measured. And so let us take a brief look at some of these words that are used. The pastoral staff, the pastors on staff, the three of us, there's words in the New Testament for pastor, elder, and overseer. These three words are synonymous and interchangeable. They are three ways of referring to the same office. And so the New Testament teaches that God appointed more than one pastor in each local congregation. Therefore, we understand the responsibilities of the pastors to essentially be threefold. We're taught in Scripture that the the responsibility of pastors should be the ministry of God's Word, prayer, and leading the church. Those are the three primary responsibilities of your pastors here on staff. Jason is one of our pastors, Jake is one of our pastors, and I am one of the pastors. We have, in leadership, three pastors, just as we're taught in Scripture, there were multiple pastors, a plurality of leadership is always a good thing. When one person holds too much power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, correct? So we have that authority spread out among deacons and multiple pastors. Then you see there the deacon body. The word in the New Testament for deacon means servant. So our deacon body is a serving and ministering body. The pastors are overseeing and teaching 
and they give direction and guidance to the church. So the deacons work with the pastors to guide the direction of the church by serving in the ministries of the church. First Peter chapter 4 speaks of spiritual gifts in two broad categories. There's word and deed. So all of our ministries from Bethany revolve primarily around the preaching and ministering of the word and working out in deeds among our brethren. All in all, the pastors and deacons of Bethany Baptist Church play a vital role in leading our church to carry out its mission. So listen, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about what is an elder. When we say the word elder, it it automatically causes some of us to kind of recoil and and think, "Mm, I don't know about that. I I know other denominations that have elders, and I, I don't know that I'm a fan of that. Listen, the way that the Bible describes it, there is an elder who has functions of overseeing and shepherding and preaching and teaching. So elder is a word that is interchangeable with these other descriptions. And some of the office roles are described as overseeing, as preaching, as teaching. But the elder is the position. It is the role of elder, and that elder will oversee, manage, lead, however you want to describe that, preach and teach the word, pray. That elder will shepherd and pastor. These words are interchangeable, and a lot of times there's a lot of confusion about those. I just want to clear that up, that there's, there's nothing to be afraid of in the word elder. It's the role that the pastor fulfills as pastoring. So elder and overseer are interchangeable. You have references there of how they are interchangeable. And I want you to, in your spare time, we don't have time this morning to dig through each one, but that's provided so that it can kind of debunk some of the myths that maybe you've heard about overseers and elders and all of these various fancy church words. Shepherd, pay careful attention. Listen, that's the primary function of a pastor. I, I always appreciate when people say, Brother Nathan. It's, it's always, there's a deep aspect to it. I don't know, Brother Nathan. It, you just have to do that in that way. I don't know what it is about that. But folks, there's something special about pastoring, about shepherding people, about loving people and guiding them and caring for them as a shepherd cares for the sheep. Christ is the ultimate shepherd. But he has appointed three men at this church to be under shepherds right underneath him. And for us to be in the midst of our church, to be caring for the flock, providing for the needs, ministering, preaching the word, praying for you all, praying for one another. And folks, it's it's the highest honor to me when somebody feels comfortable saying, that's my pastor. That's that's Pastor Nathan down at Bethany. That's Pastor Jake who's over our students. That's, that's Pastor Jason, and he leads us in worship every week. That's my pastor. There's something about when the sheep are that close to the shepherd that they're drawn to the shepherd that you don't just get that title. You earn that title. And so it's, it's an everyday struggle and striving in my heart to earn the title and role of pastor among you. To be integrated among you so that that we're all one body and one flock together following Jesus. That's what a pastor should do. The pastor should smell like sheep, right? Because they're around sheep all the time. Because they carry the sheep when it's necessary. Because they help the sheep when they're hurting. Because they're just covered over by them and they sleep with them at night. That's why the term pastor is used. In Spanish, you know the word for shepherd? 
Pastor. That's it. P-A-S-T-O-R. The word for shepherd in Spanish is pastor. It just means shepherding. And folks, I think we have a lot of preachers, a lot of great speakers, but sometimes it's hard to find somebody who's willing to pastor. And I'm not the greatest of speakers and I'm not the greatest of pastors, but my heart's desire is to lead in a way that our church recognizes we have a pastor. Not just a preacher, not just a speaker, but someone who cares about the sheep and smells like one of us. We want to be Andalusian. I don't know if that's a word. We want to be heathens, not heathens, heathens. All right, stick with me. In the Bible, pastors are instructed to teach and to govern. There's verses that go along with that, and these are serious claims. The reason the leadership is so important is because of what we see in Hebrews chapter 13. In the past, we've looked at this verse before. I want to draw your attention to it again. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It'll be on the screen, I believe. The Word of the Lord tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This verse is written to every pastor. Don't, I, I know that you guys might want to like zero in on obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not the scary part to me. Okay, The scary part to me is that God is charging Jake and Jason and myself in this local congregation for caring for the souls of the church. And there will be a day when we will be held accountable for the way in which we pastored and shepherded and led and taught and governed and cared for your souls. So you may be wondering, man, preacher, I just don't understand why we're going through this book. I just don't understand why we're talking about all this Bethany basics and what it means to be a member. It's because one day I've got to stand before God Almighty. And I've got to say, here's Tom, Lord. And Tom is this kind of a man. And this is how I loved Tom. And this is how I ministered to Tom. And this is how I prayed for Tom. This is how I taught Tom. Because this is how I cared for Tom's soul. And I have to answer to God Almighty. So listen, if you never complain about whether the pastor gets to you or not, know that every person will be held accountable for every careless word, every careless deed. But teachers, teachers and pastors and preachers will be held accountable also for the way they cared for the souls of their flocks. Folks, that's what drives me to love you as best I can. Because I've got to stand before the Lord and answer to Him one day for whether I was lazy, for whether I was a workaholic, for whether I missed people, or whether I didn't care whether your family members died, or whether I didn't care that you had a funeral, or whether I just did lip service, or I actually loved people. Got to answer for that. Jake has to answer for that. Jason has to answer for that. Mike Flowers at Southside has to answer for that. All right, Kevin Wilburn at First Baptist Andalusia has to answer for that. 
Keith Ray at Harmony has to answer for that for his local congregation. It is what pastors have to do one day. So as much as I love you and as much as I am accountable to you, I am much more concerned about standing before the Father one day and having to report on how I cared for the souls of those entrusted to me as a part of this flock. That's what every pastor's heart and motivation should be. But we also have deacons. Don't, don't forget, they're still there, all right? Scriptural understanding of deacons is in Acts chapter 6. There was a dispute that arose. The very first time deacons are called out and appointed, it's because there's division and unrest and chaos in the church. So from the very first example, deacons are agents of peace. Deacons are agents to quell and put down the divisions within the church. Because there were people who were getting overlooked at the daily distributions of food and needs. And so the deacons had to step in. They were set aside. They stepped in and they brought peace to a situation of division, disunity, anguish, and trial. Their role is to free up the pastors to preach and to teach. You see that in the example there in Acts chapter 6. There's also deacons who are gifted in other areas of ministry and were at liberty to use their gifts. Listen, notice what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The main difference between verses 1 through 7 and verses 8 through 13 is the phrase, able to teach. We're not expecting our deacons to all be teachers. They're all to be ministers. They're all to be servants and working and leading and guiding through the way that they provide an example. But they don't have to teach. But there are some who are gifted in teaching and praying. And they're to use their gifts for the church. Something that's unique about Southern Baptists, though, is that even though we have pastors and even though we have deacons, we are an autonomous congregation. We affiliate ourselves with the Southern Baptist Convention. We affiliate ourselves with the Covington Baptist Association, but they can't tell us what to do. We are an autonomous body. So if you are a member of this church, you have a say-so in who the deacons are. You have a say-so in who the pastor is. You have a say-so in what ministry is done and how that ministry is carried out. And there's no governing body somewhere across the world or across the country telling us what we have to do. We are an autonomous congregation. So that's why that section is there. Our congregational church, all the leadership positions, pastors, deacons, committee members, team members, they're ultimately elected and approved by the church membership at a regular church business meeting. Every year, our church calendar year runs from September 1 through August 31. So as we go through the summer, the nominating committee begins calling and reaching out to people and saying, hey, will you serve on this team? Hey, will you serve on this committee? Hey, will you serve the church in this way? And you might think, well, I've never gotten one of those phone calls. Do you know how the nominating committee is elected? From the floor at a business meeting. You come to a business meeting and say, Hey, you know, I'd really like to be on the nominating committee. We don't have anybody that does that. So you're going to get on it, okay? That's, it's just that simple. Listen, Pastor, I really just I feel like I need to be on the nominating committee, all right? Well, brother, nothing's holding you back. Come on, we want you, all right? We beg people to be on the nominating committee. As a matter of fact, we usually beg people to be on every ministry. Please, we just need somebody. We need somebody to help. we got three people that run sound. Are you guys aware of that? There's three guys that rotate in and out to run sound, all right? If the three of them got sick or were out of town all at the same time, we'd have nobody at the soundboard. And nobody's beating down the door of the office going, Pastor, I've got to run the sound system, and it's ridiculous that nobody's let me do it yet. 
If you want to run something, let us know. We'll appoint you at a business meeting. Boop. Just that easy. All right? But only the membership of this church. That's what being a member means. It's what it's about. It's about plugging in and serving, being in charge of something, running with something. It's, it's all good stuff. Every leadership position is elected from within this church. Pastors are voted on during a trial worship service. So even the pastors are elected by the church. Nobody appoints somebody and sends them to us. You all as a congregation get to decide whether the pastors continue to serve here or you get tired of us and you kick us out. Or if something happens and the Lord picks us up and throws us somewhere else, then you know you, you pick a new pastor. You get to vote. There's always a service. There's always some say-so that the church gets. Listen, if somebody got up here and they preached and they were just awful and everybody in the church voted no, guess what? Y'all wouldn't call that person. It's just a congregational church. You get to make the decisions. That's where all the core of the leadership really is. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. You as a church submit. That's what verse 17 was talking about. You submit to the leaders, but you as a church put those leaders in position. We vote for the president. We can take the president out of office. We can put the president in office. But once the president is there, we collectively as a country agree to submit to that president's leadership. Some people do better than others, but that's another story for another day. One third of the deacons are rotated every year. We have 12 deacons and four rotate off and four come on every year. The deacons are on a three-year rotation. They're elected from the congregation. One third of the nominating committee is elected every year. All right. All these things are in place. The, the church reviews and gives approval to the nomination of every nominating committee. And if you get a, a nominating committee report where you're like, mm, I don't know, I just don't think that Peggy should be serving in that capacity in that place. You can raise your hand at the business meeting and go, hey, can we just table this for a month and let's, let's dig into it a little bit more? And guess what? We will. It's just that simple. It's just that straightforward. Even though the nominating committee is doing the nominating, it still goes before the church. So there's a lot of value in being a member that people often just overlook. And, and I know that it's overlooked because I see our attendance on our church business meeting nights. Is church business meeting tonight? Oh, baby, we ain't going tonight. Woo! That's a week off from church right there. Business meeting, we just let them do whatever they're going to do. We, we don't really care about it. Folks, you have a say-so. And if you don't show up for the meeting, you're foregoing your say-so. That's part of being a member. Showing up, being involved, being invested. So then, this is probably a little too much, okay? That next page. Go to that next page. I made, I made an organizational chart, all right? Bear with me. I like charts, okay? I'm sorry. I just enjoy it. But this is the picture of all these words that we've been saying. I want you to look at the bottom of that. That is the foundation, the church membership. Do you know that you don't have a pastor who is separate from the membership? I'm a member of this church. Did, did you know that? I'm, I'm a member. You, you don't have a pastor, or you shouldn't ever have a pastor, who's not a member of the church. Jake's a member of the church. Jason's a member of the church. The church decides who's up at the top of the chain. The church decides who's on the ministry teams. The church decides who's on the ministry committees. The church decides the church officers. All of these things flow up from the church. And if you are not a church member, you don't fit into any of these designations. These designations are just special offices that are held by church members. Folks, you're needed in this body. 
We need our members to plug in and be involved and be invested. We need for folks to get into groups and minister to one another. We need for people to be involved in Reach 2020. We need for the church to rally around the Easter egg hunt and Vacation Bible School. We need for the church to come together in so many ways. But listen, there's a lot of people who are content with just coming and sitting in here for about an hour, at this point maybe an hour and 15 minutes, a few Sundays a month. And that handles whatever little bit of guilt that you may have. Folks, that's not church membership. Folks, that's not what we see in the Bible. We see a group of people who were so committed they sold everything that they had and put all their belongings together. That doesn't look like one hour a week, one or two weeks a month. Folks, if if I'm talking to you this morning, I'm not trying to slap you in the face. I'm not trying to offend you. I just want you to see what's in God's Word. Church is not the place to go halfway. Church is not the place to ease off the gas. If anything else, we ought to be easing off the gas in other areas of our life and pouring into these people, this church. And so many of us, myself included, it's so tempting to get that backwards. So folks, this this morning, I, I I would like to issue a challenge to you. To invest in your church. Not the campus. Your church. Your brothers and sisters. I'd like you to consider, maybe you've been visiting with us for a long time. Maybe you might as well be a part of this body. So just go ahead and make it official. Come down during the invitation and say, you know what? We want to be members here. We want to be part of this body. Take that step to invest and commit if you know that Jesus is calling you to this place. But more importantly than everything else that we've said today, you cannot join unless you really know Jesus. More important than joining this church, more important than anything else we could say, trust in Jesus. He really was born of a virgin. He really did live a perfect life. He really did die our death. He really was raised three days later. And you really can have eternal life with Him in paradise forever and ever if you will trust in Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And nobody gets to heaven except through Him. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've never trusted in Him, please make this the day. That you give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that even though it's not the most exciting of things at times, Father, you gave us everything we needed to know to organize and set up your church to operate as a local body of believers. And Father, I know that I don't live up to the description as a pastor. Lord, I know there's many of us here. We don't live up to what you've described in your word. I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, help us to change. God, help me to be 
the pastor that you have called me to be. Lord, to love this church the way that you love this church. God, help us as church members to love one another the way that you've loved us. Lord, to pour our hearts and our souls into one another. To care for each other. To bear each other's burdens. To invest our time and our energy and our talents into ministering one to the other and spreading your word across this world. God, help us to come together the way that you have described in your word. Let there be peace and unity in your church. Let us be faithful to follow you in all that we say and all that we do. God, we love you so very much. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.